We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Okay, welcome tonight. We're in Matthew chapter 13. We had begun there uh, looking at the parable of the sower, or the soils as I called it, focus on the different kinds of soil and what they, how they responded to the seed, or in other words, the hearts of people and how they responded to the word of the kingdom. Uh, we saw the parable, then we saw the explanation, and in between the parable and the explanation was a section of scripture that talked about the purpose of the parables. We looked then at what the meaning of a parable is um, and why the Lord was teaching that way using that methodology. Uh, we saw the prophecy in Isaiah that had been um, uh, fulfilled. It wasn't really a prophecy per se, but it was a word that had been fulfilled back in Isaiah's day. And the Lord takes it and by analogy applies it to the current generation. In fact, it can be uh, applied to any generation who oh, honors God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Uh, who uh, attend to religious service but don't really love God, uh, who don't understand what they hear from the Word of God or, or grasp what they see um, or, you know, those, those kinds of cognitive understanding and, and uh, ability to grasp what they're seeing uh, has just escaped them because their hearts are darkened and their hearts are hearts of stone and, and not hearts of flesh. But he says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear because there were people who didn't ever have the opportunity to understand the, the word of God this way as you have because they were here, were able to hear the Lord Jesus speak directly to these matters that the prophets of old were only, could only dream to understand. Um, we, uh, I, I, I made a little note in my notes, I didn't cover this, but I'll just touch on it this time just for completeness sake. If you're looking at the notes on the website, for example, you'll see I have a section on expositional preaching in the parables. You know, our pattern has been to preach through the Bible verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, and that's what we're doing here. But before, I decided some years ago to do a series through the parables. And so what I did is I took each parable and I preached an expositional message on each one of them. Okay, so verse by verse through the parables. And that's also a valid way to do expositional preaching. It's not topical. Uh, it is an exp expository message. That is an explanation and application of that particular text. It can be a short text. It can be a long text. It could be a book. It could be a, a whole chapter. It can be two or three chapters that are the subject matter for your expositional message but it is uh, certainly valid and, uh, and expositional to do a series on the parables. We're going to walk through the parables in Matthew 13 and then continue on in chapter 14 in this series, but that's what I did before when we, when we did a series on the parables. Um, by the way, just by way of contrast, you know the difference between an expositional message and a topical message? 
a message from the Bible that is topical. If it's tied to the Bible, we'll be talking about what the Bible says about a specific topic, but it won't be centered on extracting the meaning from one single text. It actually would be centered on extracting the meaning from several texts. So, you know, what are all the passages that talk about the deity of Christ? Let's talk about that topic. Or what are all the passages that talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation? And we talk about that. That's a, those are examples of topical messages. Then those are what I would call topical biblical messages. What has become common in broad evangelical churches are topical messages that aren't particularly biblical. They're about, you know, how to uh, feel good, how, how to, um, you know, uh, win friends and influence people kinds of things, stuff like that, you know. Those are topical messages as well, but they might as well just be talks, T-A-L-K-S, speeches, inspirational uh, vignettes or whatever. Just they're not, they're not really biblical topical messages. So there is a place for topical biblical messages and expositional biblical messages, but in the pulpit of this church and of any genuine church, there's really no place for just the pastor's thoughts on a subject or, uh, you know, some topic to, to inspire the people to, you know, live better lives and that sort of thing, or, you know, um, be able to pray to God and ask for his, uh, pro, you know, him to prosper you and things of that nature. That's not at all what we're into because we understand that we're supposed to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, not to just preach our own ideas or what we think building, what we build into the, the passages of Scripture. So we carry on then with Matthew 13, verse number 24. And we begin this way. It says, another parable he put forth to them. So here's the second one. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, this is similar to the previous parable because there's a man sowing seed, and there's seed, and there's a field, but they're different. They don't mean the exact same things as they did before, so we'll see that in just a moment. Verse uh, 25, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so now he's going to go and tell another parable to them, which we won't get to. But then in a, a few verses down in verse 36, the, the uh, disciples asked him, help, you know, help us understand what you were talking about, the wheat and the tares. So let's read in verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. 
He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. Now remember, last time we said the one who sows could be really anybody, anybody who sows the message of the word. Here the sower is the, is the Son of Man. The field is what? The field represents the world. Okay, The good seeds represent the sons of the kingdom. The tares, we'll call them the bad seeds, they are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Here's an interesting parable because almost every one of those different characters or objects has a meaning and he defines it for us. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Is that clear? Pretty clear, isn't it? The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So back in the previous parable, we saw that the the seed of God's word was liberally planted. Only some of it matured to a point in which it brought forth fruit. And it was the fruit-bearing plants that pictured salvation. Only the fruit-bearing plants that picture a true believer in Christ. The others who received the seed did not produce fruit. And that's a picture of those whose hearts are rock-hard, They're feeding ground for the devil. Remember the birds came and got all the seeds in this previous parable. They have little depth of earth to endure persecution or tribulation or they're choked out by the riches and cares of the world. Now the devil wants to stop good growth before it starts and certainly before it can produce good fruit. But the devil is not only content to stop good seed from growing, He also wants his own plants to grow. In other words, he doesn't just eat up the the seeds before they get started. He has his own seeds that he plants. And he wants to choke out the good growth with his own bad growth. He wants to control everything, to overrun good with evil. I uh, could use the illustration of the uh, seeds, the thistle seeds that were kind of inadvertently planted on the north side of our building here. Um, we had a mess back there, and, and, and uh, years ago we cleaned it out, and it was all nice and everything, and then after a while, the uh, thistle seeds from the thistle seed feeder, <laughs> try to say that several times in a row, uh, got spread around by the birds, and that whole little slope there between the building and the, and the retaining wall was just loaded with, with thistle picker bushes, picker plants. Um, they just took over the whole area. So all that hard work that we did just went down the drain. Oh, well. Um, but it's this kind of situation that the Lord pictures for us in the second major parable, that of the wheat and the tares. And so the Lord says, the kingdom of heaven is like, you know, he's telling us that this uh, kingdom of heaven is like this man who went and sowed good seed in his field. And while men slept, something very devious 
Well, devious, right? Devious makes sense because uh, it's the devil. (laughs) The parable is meant to relate an easy-to-understand situation to a spiritual truth. And anybody in this day and age back here could understand this. I'm afraid that some people today would have a hard time understanding this. You know, people who have never seen a, a seed in their life I was just think, just uh, reflecting on this. Um, there's a, a family that I, I'm acquainted with in uh, in West Virginia, and they raise their animals for food. And uh, they've had commentary from people who have said, "Well, why don't you just buy your food at the grocery store?" <laughs> uh, you know where ham comes from, right? <laughs> you know where beef. A hamburger comes from, right? Uh, this literally people don't understand. They don't realize that the, the food they eat, the meat they eat came from a living animal. And uh, things grew out of the ground. They didn't just grow in some, you know, hydroponic laboratory somewhere, uh, you know, and, and uh, magically appear in the grocery store cellophane wrapped and with a price tag on it and all that sort of stuff. Um, we probably could use this parable today, and it would mostly be understood, but you want to be careful that you're not using illustrations that don't make sense to, say, city slickers who don't understand uh, some things, basic things. But he was using illustrations that everybody would understand. And one of the things that they understood was if, if you prepared the field, I mean, imagine clearing it, getting the rocks out of it, plowing it, raking it, doing that several times, getting it ready, planting it. How disastrous it would be if somebody came right after you planted and decided to plant weeds. Most disappointing. My own dad had an experience not of that maliciousness, but of that kind of situation where over the years that he's been on the property that they live on, he's had to plow up the field two or three times and replant. It's a hay field, but after a while it just plays out. And so he planted a lot of nice alfalfa in that field, which is wonderful, as some of you know, for horses, uh, as long as you don't give them too much. Uh, It's a little bit too rich for them. If you just just jump them right into that, they can get sick. But, um, you know, it went well for a little bit, but then suddenly... There was filled in many of the areas of the field uh, with this weed called Queen Anne's lace. Uh, you know the the one with the round flower on the top. Well, that's a wild carrot, right, John? And the field is filled up with them. I mean, they're. I mean, it's not like it's choked out yet. Everything, but it's just terrible. Where did all these seeds come from? It's almost like they were mixed in with what he was doing, or or something. It's just it was an odd situation. But imagine the. If you lived, if that was your main living, how catastrophic it would be if somebody did that. The, the good seed was intended to bring forth good plants. And, and those seeds would, you know, give, bring forth good plants. You, if you have a good seed, it's going to bring forth the plant. I mean, a corn seed will bring forth corn. A believer will bring forth, you know, believing fruit. Um, but the enemy came and secretly sowed bad seed among the good wheat seed. Now, the first parable dealt with good seed and its results. The second parable deals with bad seeds and its relationship to the good seeds. 
Now notice in, uh, this is very um, sad in verse 25, speaking of the moral character of humanity. Uh, the enemy came and sowed and look at the last phrase of verse 25, and went his way. And went his way. He didn't care. It didn't make any more difference to him than a hill of beans. I like these people that go into stores today and shoplift and even massively shoplift and walk away and they're laughing about it. What is wrong with people? You've heard that before, haven't you? What is wrong with people? The depravity. He didn't care. He, he knows the damage is done. He's happy the damage is done, but he doesn't care about the damage. He's, he has accomplished his ruinous goal and he moves on to the next field to do more damage. You know, tearing down is easier than building up. It doesn't take much to burn down a building. It takes a whole lot to build a building, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it takes a lot more brains, could I say. It takes a lot more fortitude. It takes a lot more diligence to build than to tear down. To organize, to put things together, to help a person have a better life is a lot more work. But it's easy to ruin a life and then leave the person or... You know, it's hard to build up a good church, but then to tear it down, to ruin it, to sow discord, well, that's easier. And then leave, go, says, go, go your way, and then you leave everybody else to pick up the pieces. While Men Slept, it's the title of a kind of conspiratorial book that I have on my bookshelf. I haven't read the whole thing, but uh, While Men Slept is the idea is when people aren't paying attention. Uh, this indicates that the mischief happened at night. Now, I don't think this, de- this denotes delinquency on the part of the farmer. Farmers have to sleep too. I mean, they can't, they can't sit up with their shotgun at night, and scarecrows don't help this kind of situation. So it's no good for them to you know, have to uh, eat the bread of anxious toil, so to speak, and worry about their field being, uh, being destroyed. I mean, we, we might... You know, we probably don't worry about our houses being broken into and and ransacked while we're gone at church, although that's, I'm sure, happened before, or we're gone on vacation and that sort of thing happens. Um, But the farmer had had to rest. You know, there's no, no idea here that there should have been a night watchman. But it's true that, like in other parables, we're told that we should watch, we should pay attention, because... Bad things can happen, or the Lord is returning. We must, we must take you know good care of our fields, watch the state of our flocks, and stuff like that. Only after the plants grew up for a while and uh, got to the mature stage did the mischief become evident. Time and growth brought out distinguishing marks on the plants that could be seen. So while they were in the immature state, it was pretty hard to tell. You know, when they each have two leaves on them, it might be hard to tell which is good and which is bad, but when they grow up to a foot or two tall and they begin to have their mature characteristics, you can see you know, what they look like a little bit better. Um, then the difference could be easily seen. Now, I should note that I've used the word mischief a couple of times, but this is a lot more than mischief. Um, this created a lot of extra work for the farmer. You know, Just like when there's, when there's mischief in a church, or there's mischief in, in whatever other department of life. It, is, it creates a lot of work, doesn't it? You know, it does, and it's difficulty. It reduced his crop. It reduced his profit. It increased his labor costs. 
the plant uh, could have been, as some have said, what's called darnel, D-A-R-N-E-L, which is a fake wheat, uh, looks a lot like it. But the goal of the enemy was to ruin the crop, perhaps even destroy the field for several years. I mean, imagine if you plant, say, all this Queen Anne's lace in the field, it's not going to go away because it's a perennial. It reseeds itself or the roots come back, you know, whatever, and it just expands and expands, and there's no really good way to get rid of it. Um, you know, and thus he would eliminate the profit of the farmer. Very real economic harm was done. The enemy did this as a form of revenge or punishment. Roman law at this time prohibited this practice. This was an illegal practice. It was, you know, a, a kind of vandalism that was detrimental to, I mean, think if you're attacking the food supply chain at the root of it, that's a real problem. And government, governance, governments recognize that. You can't just do that because that's deadly to your people. You want to create a famine? Well, governments have created famines. You read about the famine in Ukraine back in the 19, what was it, 20s or something like that? Terrible, terrible situation. We understand how this is corresponding to spiritual life, that mischief, as I've called it, is deadly. Mischief is not merely economically harmful, it's spiritually deadly. Time passed, and the honest workers for this uh, uh, owner who were employed by him became troubled at what they saw. You know, now it's several weeks, it's a couple of months have gone by, and they come and they say, whoa, what in the world happened here, master? They, they, they were the ones probably that did the work. You know, it wasn't just disappointing to the master. All of his hired hands were like, oh, no. All of our work has just gone down the drain. What has happened? Didn't you give us good seed to plant into the ground? They went, hmm, did we plant the wrong thing? Um, the multitude of bad plants in the field indicated that it was no accident that the tares came up. You know, they might have had a few volunteer plants here and there from whatever, birds, droppings, or whatever, but this is massive. This is, there's no mistaking this. They didn't didn't take a lot of forensic science to figure out that somebody had done this. There were too many tears for it to be an accident. So the owner, knowing that he did purchase good seed or had kept it from last year's crop, perhaps, concluded that the enemy had messed up his field. So the servants are, are very faithful to him, and they say, Look, Master, could we help you? We can go out into that field and we can dig them up. We can get rid of them now. You know, very zealous. You appreciate that zeal. They'll work hard. They'll take days, weeks, perhaps, to do all this work, to kill all these plants. But the owner says, well, no, actually, that's not going to work. Of course, it would entail a tremendous amount of labor, but the problem was the side effect. And he explains the situation to them. He mulls it over, and he decides that they cannot do a pre-harvesting of the weeds before the real harvest because the roots are intertwined in the soil, and all they're going to do is damage the real crop. So let's do the best we can. Let's, you know, make the return that we can on this, get out of it what we can, but we're going to have to wait and do all the work at the end. 
but that's not greatly ideal because leaving it does do damage to the real plants in, in any case. It sucks up their nutrients, their sunshine, their water. Um, it crowds them out. It makes them uncomfortable um, and all that sort of thing. But leaving the tares in the field is the lesser of two evils. So you know, less damage is done that way, and the owner wisely decides that less damage is better than more damage so that he can salvage something, something. So wait until the final harvest. Wait until the final harvest. Now, I'm, I'm trusting, and I'm saying this, you're kind of thinking, okay, how does this apply to our spiritual lives, to our, to our life? Now, notice, by the way, that the field is what? The field represents what? The world. Very good. Many people ignore that point and they think the field represents the church. And that you're going to have, and some churches are, it's understandable in their theology why that is. Because there are churches that have membership that's not necessarily regenerate membership. So they're cultural churches. They're churches in which, you know, mother and father are members, so their children are members regardless of whether they're believers or not, and their grandchildren are members regardless of whether they're believers or not. And so you have basically the world in the four walls of the church, but it's not the church. Um, but when we're careful to maintain regenerate church membership, we are careful to understand that the, the field is not the church. The field is the world. So we are in the world, not of it, and the tares are in the world, and they are of it, but we're all mixed together. And we're not called to get rid of the tares, are we? But some have said, well, yeah, we are. We're going to go on inquisitions and crusades, and we're going to whack these tares. We're going to get rid of them now. And you see the damage that that idea has caused. Just leave them until the final judgment and God will take care of them. The angels will sort it out and he will let that, he will get that all straightened out. So they would, in the, the farming example here, uh, they would go through the field once. They'd separate the good from the bad. They'd take care of the bad by tying them into manageable bundles and throwing them into a burn pile, let them dry out, and then burn them up. Gather the wheat into similar bundles and store that in the barn to be processed later. A lot more work, but it could be, it could be done. So we're past eight o'clock. I have to stop. I have the whole more detailed explanation to go through, but that will be in verses thirty-six through forty-three. May this be a blessing to you, and uh, and think about the, the seriousness with which the Lord presents this material to us. This is uh, this is the Lord Jesus teaching this. It's not just us you know, reading a passage or making it up, but he's teaching it. And so it must be very, very, very important. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight and pray your blessing on your people uh, who are watching and who are here in the building. Keep us, Lord, and help us as we go out in a world filled with wheat and tares that we will be careful. But also, Lord, we have this unique opportunity that we can miraculously help to convert a tear into a wheat by evangelism. And I pray that you would help us to do that before the tear is gathered up into bundles and burned. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.
go minister to some tares <laughs> and to some wheat too. Amen. All right. Good night, everyone. God bless you. And if we don't see you Friday for uh, Christmas Eve service, Merry Christmas. Amen.